Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can catch us on Twitter at the Eaglesbeak. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin, and I'm a former chairman of New York Spurs, and you can follow them at nyspurs.com, and I'm also, uh, for my pains, a long-suffering Northern Ireland fan, and you can follow me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, first, we're just going to kind of do a pseudo-making the rounds and just discuss how our nations have fared in their most recent fixtures. We'll start with Jay. Obviously, Harry Kane not on the scoring form that many would like, but... <laughs> What did you see at the England match? Yeah, it was just a professional performance, really. It wasn't particularly anything spe- special um, from England, but it's you know it's hundred percent record um, in the qualifying, which which is great. I mean, you're you're dealt your hand of cards early, and you know which teams you're going to play, and, uh, and and we've done pretty well against them, to be fair. And you, it's the old adage, isn't it? You can only you can only beat who's in front of you, and that's exactly what we've done. I think it's been an impressive qualifying campaign. Um, like I mentioned, very professional. I think there's a lot of negativity around England at the moment um, in terms of the international team and the fans. And it's all well and good qualifying for a competition, but what can we do in a competition? I think a lot of people are generally um, holding on to what's happened in previous competitions, particularly the World Cup in Brazil. Um, but for me, you know, it's it's a it's a new start. It's quite fresh. You know, same same manager, yes. But we've blooded quite a few different players in, you know, going into this tournament. It's in Europe. Um, it's over in France, so it's not far away. It's not as fast travel as Brazil. Um, so for me, I'm looking forward to it. I like the the buzz of a big tournament um, and the fact that we've qualified really well. I'm, I'm guessing we could be one of the seeded sides. Um, but for me, it's fantastic to see somebody, uh, some of the home nations joining us uh, over there, particularly Wales. It was really odd watching Wales yesterday. Lost to Bosnia. Um, but um, the realization that they actually, you know, their qualification had been secured uh, by Cyprus winning in the other, um, you know, in the other game was um, was fantastic. I mean, from from one minute losing the game and uh, you know the emotion that comes with that, and then straight away realizing that they qualified, and it's just complete, um, you know, ecstatic reaction. And uh, you know, the fans and the players are like, I, I got a soft spot for Wales because we have a few players playing for them. You know, from Palace, we have mm-hmm. Wayne Hennessy, Joe Ledley, who's a bearded genius. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the vine that's going around of him celebrating um, after the game, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And also our, our young prodigy, John, Johnny Williams, was back on the bench yesterday. So, and, and obviously, you know, former player, one of my favourite ever players to play for Palace, Chris Coleman in charge of Wells. It, it's just a, it's just a group of players which work so hard for each other. You know, some of them have, you know, Gav Bell is one of the best in the world, obviously Aaron Ramsey, but, you know, 
other than that, you've got players that just, you know, work as a team and it's fantastic to see. Also, you know, Steve's going to touch on Northern Ireland as well. Republic could go through. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great, I think, for me. But, you know, England, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy England fan. We've done what we needed to do. Um, it remains to be seen what we can do in, in next summer. But I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, just, yeah. just as for a fun stat, uh, Netherlands also made it through the 2012 Euro stages unscathed, only to be dumped in the first round. So, just, just a tale of <laughs> where, warning. Yeah. Where, 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 are, where, are, where are the Netherlands this time? Oh, I can't. oh we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you should mention that because I think there's a there's a bigger question about how much of a challenge the qualifying stages are and how mm. much that prepares you for. You know, coming up against the bigger teams when you actually get to the finals. But as far as I'm concerned, guys, I'm I couldn't be more ecstatic uh, mm. than I have been the last week. I, I've been in Belfast the last week or so, and uh, obviously couldn't get a ticket for for Thursday night's game against Greece because uh, well, partly because they were sold out months ago, but also um, I don't know if you noticed, but Windsor Park, where where Northern Ireland play, is is being renovated at the moment, so that the capacity is diminished. But that didn't take away from, from from any of the atmosphere there. It was just an incredible night. Uh, and it's an amazing when you think about it. This is a country of under 2 million people uh, with, with a, basically a semi-professional domestic league. No, no stars, not many stars. We haven't qualified for, for, a major, for the finals of a major tournament since the 1986 World Cup. And that's 14 field qualifying campaigns. And for a, for a lot of them, we were basically the whipping boy of, of you know, whatever group we happened to be drawn into. And it's essentially like this is, this is your Sunday morning pub team getting into the Champions League. Um, but let, let me just briefly tell you absolutely why we deserve to be there. And, um, and, and when the draw was made all those months ago, it was like <clears throat> we thought it was a pretty tough group. You know, Romania, Hungary, uh, Greece, who'd, who'd won the Euros not, not that long ago, we thought – you know, even the most optimistic of us thought that that the best we might be able to hope for was <clears throat> was maybe a battle for for third place and a and a playoff spot. But now, after tonight, we another battling draw out in Helsinki, and we we got a point in order to top the group, and that's like exceeded all of our dreams. It's it's been amazing, and and I think there's three reasons for that. And and Jay touched on it a little bit with Wales, but. But first of all, it's the players and the way the players play for each other. It's the, a mixture of uh, the, the squad that we have is a, a, a set of basically journeyman capable players from the Premier League. The likes of Chris Brunt, Gareth McCauley, uh, Captain Steve Davis, who sort of pulls everything together, uh, allied with a group of players who aren't familiar to everybody. I mean, Josh McGuinness, who scored against Greece the other night, Everybody, I think, now knows his story. A converted goalkeeper uh, playing in Kilmarnock. Um, another striker, Liam Boyce, is, is sort of playing very well for Ross County at the moment. Uh, young players like Ollie Norwood, who's, who started at uh, Manchester United, now plays for Reading. These are, these are players who are coming together to play as a team. And I don't think you can actually quantify that in a way that, that makes sense in the broader scope of analyzing um, football performance. But the other, the other couple of elements to that are Michael O'Neill, the manager, um, after a very shaky start, you know, we, we hired him uh, 2011, I think it was. Uh, it got off to a shaky start, but managed to right the ship. We had a couple of 
um, classic performances, one against Portugal, one against Russia. That's essentially what Northern Ireland used to be about. We were, we were about these one-off incredible results against England or against Portugal or whatever, against Spain, Germany. You know, we could raise our game for those sorts of games, but, but in order to um, maintain that over a qualifying period was just beyond us. But the most important thing, again, going back to what you said, Jay, is just this, this pride, this passion, this team spirit, this belief in themselves that this group of players can achieve anything. And, and playing to your strengths, organizing your team so you play to your strengths, that you don't, you don't get above yourself. You never expect that you're going to go out and teach the other team a lesson. You always go out and you think, this is a competition. This is we, we have to compete to get anything out of this. And I think that's been the most the most remarkable thing throughout this uh, this qualifying campaign. Steve, what's what, what do you think has been the difference this time around? I mean, you mentioned there's been 14 failed qualifying campaigns for yeah. this. Northern Ireland have always deemed to be, no offence, but the yeah. whipping boys of a group, you know, the the lowest ranked side in a in a group or or, or the one above that. Yeah. Is there a feeling that you know that, that, that there's been a real change this year, or, or for this tournament, or this qualifying campaign, even? I think I think for this particular campaign, we really got off to a very good start. I think the other teams were in a bit of disarray to start off with, and we were very lucky in that we played a lot of our away games. It was sort of front loaded, so a lot of the away games were uh, were in the first part of the qualifying, Jay. So. Going away to Hungary, getting a great performance, you know, going away and, and getting the points that we needed and scoring away from home actually set us up with this incredible belief that, that, uh, that we, you know, had a, had a confidence when we, when we played teams at Windsor. So I think in a way, a lot of the previous campaigns, and I, I've unfortunately been around for a while, a lot of the previous campaigns, we were we were basically out of it by the third or fourth game. A mm. couple of poor performances, you know, we got hammered by somebody, and then that's pretty much it. And so you're going through the motions for the rest of the campaign. But I think definitely for this for this qualifying group, the fact that we had such a good start was priceless, absolutely priceless. And then the belief started to grow. And of course, I, I can't mention, I can't go without mentioning. The incredible support, the green and white army, the fans that that follow this team all over Europe, and and just give them this incredible loyal support. It's an, it, it, amazing, and as much as anything else, these fans deserve to go and wreak havoc in France next year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I have to say, it's brilliant to watch. I mean, um, it, you know, I, I'm not a biggest fan of Scotland, but it would have been fantastic to see them uh, them re- reach the, reach the tournament as well. But yeah. I, I think it would have been between them and Republic of Ireland anyway. So um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the fans have been terrific. You know, all the way across the the, the home night, watching the Welsh fans yeah. um, celebrate with the uh, the Welsh players last night was just you know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Very very, very special moment indeed. Yeah, I know a lot of Welsh. Uh, Welsh fans and um, they're, they're absolutely yeah, pretty hungover this morning. But uh, yeah, no, it's great to see it's great to see these nations doing you know qualifying for a, for a tournament yeah. such as that next year. I know it's been made a little bit bigger, but I think you know the bigger the better for me. Absolutely, and I, and I think the one thing that struck me also watching watching Wales celebrate last night was these teams. This is like the the, the anti-establishment, anti-corporate. Mm face of football. I mean, it was ironic that, that our victory over Greece uh, on Thursday, you know, came the day after 
Blatter and Platini were suspended by FIFA. <laughs> and this is, you know, Northern Ireland's success, success story this year mm. is about as far removed from mm. from the decadence and the rottenness that uh, of FIFA as you can possibly imagine. And it's like you get the sense that you know if, if our wee country can do what they did, and on the back of that sort of belief and 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 love of the game, then mm. there's there's hope for football at the end of it. Very, and this is a Greek team or or a country that won the tournament less well just over ten years ago. So right, exactly, crazy. exactly, crazy. Speaking of teams that used to be good, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll talk about the Netherlands now. <laughs> um, uh, so, two-one victory over Kazakhstan, conceding in the ninety-fifth minute uh, of what wasn't nearly as dominant a performance as it should have been. Uh, coming into the international break, what needed to happen was Czech Republic beat Turkey and then us beat the Czech Republic. And then odds are we'd be in uh, either with a permanent spot or with a, a playoff spot at the very worst. But Turkey won. Uh, Czech Republic still locked up a spot. Uh, and so now what needs to happen for Netherlands to make a playoff spot is Netherlands has to win and Turkey has to lose to Iceland. And the problem with that is that I don't have confidence watching Netherlands anymore. It's gone. And people keep asking, you know, this was the third best team in the world mm -hmm. at the last World Cup. And it's just not anymore. The, I, I know there have been reports coming out that Robin Van Persie isn't enjoying his time in Turkey. And it shows because much like U.S. presidents, he went into Turkey with like salt and pepper hair. And now it's just straight gray. It's just the, it's clearly the pressures of the office have clearly gotten to him. He's not where he he used to be. You know, just a year ago, two years ago, uh, Arjen Robin still dealing with injuries. It's not as great. Snyder fortunately showed up yesterday, but hasn't been as great throughout qualification. The defense has been in shambles, and there was a stat that was shown uh, at the beginning of the broadcast, and it was the amount of uh, Netherlands appearances had by each of the players and it was either less than 20 or more than 80 hmm. there's like there's this missing generation that i myself included kind of failed to recognize coming out coming off the last world cup you're like all right well our older players are still just oldish like 30 to 32 maybe they'll still be around by the euros maybe they'll be around by the following world cup and then you have this young crop of really exciting players like your Winyoldums and your Depays and Anwar Al-Ghazi, who I, I do rate very highly, Quincy Promis as well. And so you're like, okay, well, this is a very exciting young side with just enough experience to get them through. But what we've seen in this tournament is that the youth is too young and too inexperienced and doesn't know how to carry the team themselves. And the older players have either been hurt or ineffective. And so you just get this kind of dawdling Netherlands side struggling under two different managers uh and there's just no sign of improvement there's not it it unfortunately is 11 people wearing an orange shirt much more than it is a team uh and and we've we've dealt with this in the past with the dutch where you know it can get a little there's sometimes animosity in that dressing room and there's kind of groups that are pitted against each other. And the worst thing is there aren't even groups. It's literally just everyone for themselves. And it shows in the play. Memphis Depay has sent in more wonderful crosses during this campaign than I've ever seen. But nobody's ever at the end of it. You have Klaus-Jan Huntelaar and Robin Van Persie 
and and at times Bastos, and at times Luke de Jong, all of whom six foot plus, by the way. You'd think that one of them would be able to poach a goal. You'd think Klaus Jan Huntelaar, whose entire career has been poaching goals, would be able to do so, and he hasn't. And it's just inexcusable. And it's it kind of feels like uh, Tottenham, where we don't succeed in the Europa League but demand to be in the Champions League. And it feels like that with the Dutch side right now. So many people are like, oh, well, they'll find a way into the tournament. They deserve to be in the tournament. No, they don't. This Dutch side is not good enough to play in that tournament. It's just not. There are a lot of problems with it. I stated a few. I'm sure there are many more. Danny Blint, I'm not sure, is actually a good managerial candidate. I realize that there is no one else and that we're just trying to, like, plot along until we can get a couple of the other Dutch legends through their, like, A-levels and stuff to get into management. Uh, I was going to ask you, Kevin, what's what's the outlook? I mean, what's your your under-21 situation? Oh, well, the, the young talent is everywhere. It's really good. Uh, can, we continue to poach Moroccan players like it's our job, um, <laughs> which is great because they're really good and young. Uh, Anwar Ghazi, I just mentioned one of them. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole youth setup is fine, but we thought that we had this bridge from the last World Cup to this Euros, and then by the time we made it to Russia, then these young kids would already be established. But it's, it's just not the case. And the... The problem is is that some of the older players aren't leadership figures. They're not like Robin Van Persie has been captain for like the last three years. He, he doesn't strike me really as a captain figure. Schneider is kind of lone wolfy. Robin, he's not going to pass it unless he has to or if his left leg gets chopped off. It, it's, it's not a good example for a whole bunch of young kids. And Louis van Gaal, to his credit, you know, we've heard a lot of his crazy stories at Munich. Uh, but... He was able to command a group of kind of wandering people, and now that's gone. And so there's nobody to hold people accountable. So it's just go out there, do your best. You look at the 11 names, they should be winning every match, and they don't. They just don't. So uh, am I hoping that Netherlands make it into the Euros? Yes. Am I expecting it? No. Do I, do th- do I think they'll do well if they make it into the tournament? No. No, I do not. So... It'll be an adventure, especially because best case they'd be what a third seed. Uh, it's it's not very good. So, uh, all in all, very very disappointing from the Dutch, and not much sign of it turning around anytime soon. I've just actually read that uh, Tim Krull has been uh, ruled out for the season with a cruciate knee ligament. Wow, injury. So I mean, that's... hate to do this, but but anybody know the backup? Is it Newcastle? Uh, isn't it that young kid? I think there's a uh, young mm. kid um, that came through because they they got rid of um, Harper's gone, isn't he? So not mm. not quite not quite sure, not quite sure. But that yeah, that impact either. on them obviously but, yeah, as well. That's obviously mm. detrimental. Sillison obviously feeling the effects of, of injury as well. So yeah, <laughs> Michelle Vorm, it's his time to step yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, it's really interesting that you you mentioned Van Persie a lot there, and. And really, when you look at the other goal scorers that, that Holland have at their disposal, it's, it's astonishing that, uh, I mean, for example, Kyle Lafferty, uh, who has basically scored in almost every game for us in this qualifying campaign, uh, he's on the same number of goals scored as, as uh, Zlatan and, and Wayne Rooney and only behind um, uh, Lewandowski and, and Thomas Muller. And I, I wondered... You know, is it just as simple as your uh, your forwards just misfiring? Uh, it's a part of it. I, I mean, neither Van Persie or Huntelaar massively relied on pace at any stage in their career. But what they had is 
being lost quite quickly. Uh, Bass Dost, I don't think, is the answer. I don't think either Luke or CM DeYoung is the answer. So is forward now suddenly the weakness of this team? Yes. Uh, there's mm. much more defensive talent than there has been in a Dutch side in ages, but a lot of them aren't there yet. Stefan de Vrij is probably the closest. Um, but like Wesley Holt isn't there yet, and uh, Van Dijk has has been fairly impressive. Uh, I think it, it would uh, I, I would be remiss in not mentioning that Ron Vlaar is also still out with injury, and did captain mm. the side uh, at the last World Cup, and I, I think that 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 kind of stability. I mean, it's. I hate to keep bringing it back to Tottenham, but, you know, that's a thing I know well. And it's kind of the inconsistency. that The Dutch used to be very consistent, but now it's just going to be random because it's how many of those individual plays can link to make a goal. Because it's very rarely a team move. And, yeah, a huge part of that is that there's not a clear striker. And I think Rikairo Zivkovic isn't as close as we thought he was to being the next answer for the Dutch up front. I think he's just 20 still. And so, yeah, that's, that is a massive concern. I, I very much wouldn't be surprised if we kind of started looking at Depay as, a, as kind of a striker in the Dutch setup, just because there aren't better options. Um, I know Dost played well last year for Wolfsburg, but it hasn't translated. Um, so, yeah, the forwards misfiring is definitely a big part of it. And, you know, they aren't getting chances a whole lot. Uh, to miss the chances, save for you know a lot of balls in from Depay. I know the right wing spot has been kind of an issue ever since Robin's been out. I mentioned Quincy Promise has been over there. Anwar Ghazi just got his first start. I think they're both promising going forward, but again, they're not there now. Will they be there by 2018? Probably. Uh, but yeah, it's just not very encouraging. So the forward's definitely an issue. The midfield has been an issue. I, th- this Dutch side has been crying out for Kevin Strootman ever since he got injured at Roma. What, a year and a half ago? Two years now? Mm-hmm. Jordi Classy still injured for Southampton. Another very pivotal, <laughs> pardon the joke, um, <laughs> midfielder for that Dutch side. It's, it's, just, it's just very disappointing. And it, it does seem like a whole lot of things have gone the wrong way. But you still have to take your chances when you get them. And, and the Dutch just have not. It must be a concern heading into the World Cup qualifiers that you haven't got a, you know, a, a squad of players that are either not together or just not, not there or not with the manager or, or, or personality clashes, whatever it may be. Um, you know, there there could be a real feeling that um, you'll struggle to qualify for you know for, for that World Cup in Russia. Mm. Yeah, you you you'd hope with the wider field that you'd be able to get through. But I know like a lot of European sides struggle more in World Cup qualifying, and, and I, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me here. There is a lack of direction, for sure. And the, I think a big problem in any sports organization if, is if there can be multiple scapegoats. And mm. there's mm. a lot of that going on right now. A lot of people calling for Danny Blinn's head. A lot of people saying that he inherited a flawed problem, so that's fine. A lot of people calling for Van Nistelrooy to already take over. That would be three man- four managers in a year uh, since Van Gaal left to take the United job. Uh, you can blame the older players, which I just have. You can blame the younger players for lacking the experience, which I just have. And so there's, there, if, if there's that many things that people can point to, that means that there is an overabundance of issues. And you could solve two of those and still miss the World Cup. Uh, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully it turns around by then. I think... The likes of Depay, Klasi, and Van Dijk will all benefit from being in the Premier League as opposed to being in Netherlands, um, kind of playing a stronger game. 
uh, which which should translate better to international success. I know Depay hasn't <laughs> absolutely lit the Premier League on fire just yet, but you know we're talking years from now. We're talking hopefully two years. So I I think it'll be okay. Hopefully, with every <laughs> extremity crossed. Uh, is, is there any yeah, plans of um, that have announced their retirement from international football because of uh, this? Or? Rafa. Uh, but, but that was kind of after the last World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Vandervoort. Now, Real Batiste, where he's linked up with uh, West Bromwich Albion favorite Pepe Mel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And, and it kind of did blow my mind that Van Persie yesterday got his 100th appearance. And Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Vandervaart have his 100th appearance by the time he came to Tottenham? Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. nuts. That, that That's how far ahead he was, but often second choice to the likes of Snyder. So. Yeah, anyway. the, two, the two players, I mean, it's funny you, you should say that. I mean, the two players that I really wish we had signed, we as in Spurs, had signed two years before we did were Van, per, uh, Van Persie, Vandervaart <laughs> and, uh, and Edgar Davids. Yeah. Who you know both brought an incredible um, uh, passion for the game to uh, to White Hart Lane, and I just wish we'd we'd been able to get them earlier. And went yeah, on to sure. play for Palace as well. Hey, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, we will uh, quickly end this on uh, which player was kind of the man of the qualifying. <laughs> That's a horrible <laughs> sentence, but you know what I'm talking about. Who was the player that was most influential in your side? Uh, qualifying for Euro 2016. We'll start with Jay. Uh, for me, I think it's got to be Wayne Rooney. I mean, um, it's probably easy to say because he got the record, but I think he has a different role to play for England than he does for Manchester United. He seems to struggle, sorry, struggling in a Man United side at the moment, or has been for well for about eighteen months, two years now. Um, still gets games, but obviously for England, he you know he's deemed to be the main man, and he does that job well. You know, he works well with the rest of the team, and he, and he got the record, uh, you know, goal scoring record. So I think he's been you know, kind of a pinnacle for the team, you know, in this qualifying campaign as he has done in in previous ones um you know it's, it's been great to see a few different players uh you know making appearances during the qualifying campaign which will which has blooded them the likes of harry kane which you know we can obviously bring in uh you know alongside rooney or in place of rooney different places but you know the form of different players such as walcott that uh, you know score goals for me it's a real shame about luke shaw because i think this summer this season he was starting to um, you know, have a bit of luck with injuries. Obviously, until that terrible uh, injury that he did receive, but he was getting a run in United side. He was looking good for England as well, I have to say. Um, you know, felt sorry for the lad because he's a relatively young player, hasn't had much luck with injuries, and you know, felt to yeah, go against him as well. Will so, definitely be an interesting one as yeah. Danny Rose has lost his spot to Ben Davis and Kieran Gibbs mm. has lost his job to Nacho Monreal. It'll mm. be interesting to see who really claims that spot for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean. I think England have got a lot of players to call upon. It sounds like a silly comment, but I think there's a lot of players playing well in the Premier League. Um, for me, I'm 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 absolutely gobsmacked that Scott Dan hasn't had a look in at centre back because he's been outstanding yeah. for us for the past three seasons. Um, you know, it's when when you get the likes of John Stones dropping out for injury um, this week, um, and they call up Carl, um, your your fullback Kev, can't remember his name. It's, it's escaped me, but. It's, it's about, no, the other guy. Uh, ben Davis? Oh, name's gone. Oh, no. Kyle Walker? Kyle Walker. Walker. Yeah, Kyle Walker. DeAndre yeah, he was, he was called up. <laughs> no, um, yeah. yeah, Kyle Walker was called up uh, in place of John Stones. I just sometimes think, what? 
uh, what yeah. Scott Dan's got to do to get in, you know, to get to, he, he may well get a call up, you know, some of the friendly games and build to a tournament. But yeah, it's a real shame. I feel sorry for the, you know, for the player himself. For me, selfishly, I'm glad that Palace players aren't being called up, so I could just see one of them getting injured <laughs> <laughs> and out for a while. But but for the players, I mean, you know, Scott Dan for me is one where I'm yeah disappointed not to see him get any any sort of recognition. Uh, at all, but maybe that's around the corner. But yeah, my player um, of the qualifying campaign is is, is Rooney. Yeah, uh, I think Steve, from, you mentioned yeah you mentioned Kyle Lafferty. Yeah, I mean, he'd be up there. It's really hard. It's hard to ignore him. I mean, here's a guy you know can't can't get a game for Norwich City for goodness sake, and yet is banging them in with the elite of European football. I mean, the kid has been. He's been incredible for us. He really has been a match winner, literally a match winner on many occasions. But I actually think um, that our most important player is Steve Davis. Uh, he basically makes everything tick in the middle of the park. Whenever you need somebody with a with an old head to be able to just put their foot on the ball and control the pace of the game, uh, there there are a few players better than him, and his vision is fantastic. And I, I think playing, you know, especially alongside somebody like Ollie. Wood, who who's a willing runner, who also has that vision, who can look and see where a pass is on. Uh, I think Norwood's going to be a better player by you know playing alongside Davis. But at the end of the day, you know the the, the most important member of the team is the Green and White Army, the twelfth man, the the supporters who give give the team the sort of belief in themselves that uh, that. I think they needed at certain parts along points along the uh, along the qualifying trail, but uh, on the whole, I mean, it it was just a fantastic team effort from from everybody. Yeah, and and for another one, I mentioned him a couple times. Memphis Depay has just absolutely played his heart out, and nobody's done anything to really help him. Um, Jeannie Winyoldum has put in a couple good performances, but if you're kind of looking at the breadth of it, I think Depay has to be there. And this was kind of my criticism of Brazil at the last World Cup when everybody had very similar questions. What happened to Brazil? If you look at Brazil throughout their history, Neymar should never be more than like their third best player. And he's right now their superstar. And that's how it is for Netherlands right now. Memphis Depay should be the third or fourth best Dutch player on a good Dutch team. And right now he's the star. He's the person carrying play. And I I think that kind of speaks to kind of the, the dearth of options at the moment. So... Anyway, uh, Netherlands not in, in the situation they are due to any sins of Memphis Depay, who, who has performed very admirably throughout this and uh, hopefully doesn't allow kind of this disappointment to, to foster into his uh, Premier League campaign. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeat.com. Uh, we cover Palace, obviously, but we also cover the Palace ladies, uh, f- football in general, really. And we've got a lot, a lot of writers, great team behind us. So by all means, check out all the uh, articles that have been online this past week. There's, it, there's plenty of good ones there. I also work on a team, uh, the Back of the Net football show, actually, for a local community radio, Susie Radio. Um, you can catch it online. It's on every Thursday, 7 till 9. We cover local football, which includes Palace, but we also talk Premier League in of football and have a bit of fun with some games and that as well so um, that's a new project for me and it's going really well so thanks for listening you can catch me mostly on the Eagles Beak um, on Twitter at the Eagles Beak I have no projects to, <laughs> to plug other than uh, do check out nyspurs.com that's the New York Spurs supporters club and uh, uh, if anybody's coming through town and wants to see a match with us by all means drop us a note and I will see you all in France next year 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, well, thanks so much to our previous guests. Now we move on to the great Kieran Tavum, where we're going to be talking some about women's football. Kieran, it's obviously been a while since the Women's World Cup, which we got to cover, fortunately, with a merger between EPL Index and Playtago for the summer. What's been happening in women's football, not to be too broad, since the uh, Women's World Cup? God, where do you start? Lots. Lots, my friend. Um, I mean, obviously, from from a, a league perspective, the, the FA Women's Super League in, in England has now come to a close. That finished... Uh, just last week with Chelsea ladies gaining their first ever league title, uh, pipping Manchester City women uh, on the final weekend of the season. That's the third year in a row that the English league has gone down to the final day. Uh, For those that follow the American game, the NWSL, uh, FC Kansas City won their second consecutive title. Uh, They beat the Seattle Reign in Portland for the second season running. Uh, Seattle came out on top in the league campaign winning the, uh, the the supporters' shield. But for the second year running, it was FC Kansas City who came out on top. And we've also just had the UEFA Women's Champions League kick off as well. That kicked off um, just this past week. And uh, the, the big names in across Europe are, are all there. The likes of Frankfurt, who are the current holders, Wolfsburg, Lyon, Paris Saint-Germain, you name it, they're in there. So, yeah, lots going on. It would be difficult for me to kind of give a, a, a brief overview because there's so much that's happening. But... Those are kind of the key things. And, and obviously, as well, on the international scene, Euro 2017 qualifiers have started as well. Uh, they're very early on, and uh, some teams have, have already opened their fixtures there as well. Yeah, I know uh, on Twitter, we, uh, we kind of jested about uh, the Netherlands men's struggles and how that isn't an issue for the women, as uh, Netherlands are the hosts for the next uh, Euro. So they'll obviously qualify. Um uh, another kind of storyline I'm interested to get your take on is the retirement of Celia Sasich, who was the, the Golden Boot winner at the Women's World Cup. Uh, how do you think that will impact club and country? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Celia's retirement. I spoke to Colin Bell just before the World Cup, and he wasn't really sure what Celia's position was going to be. She'd uh, essentially decided not to extend her contract, and it would have made her a free agent after the World Cup. And Clearly, we now know that the reason she didn't extend that contract wasn't because she was trying to be a rebel, so to say, and and move to another club. She ran it down and didn't extend it because she, in the back of her mind, probably thought she was going to retire. It's incredible to think, isn't it, that a player who can win a golden boot at a a World Cup just a few weeks later. Just 27 as well. Yeah, and and 27 years old. She's just won a a golden boot at the World Cup. She was also named the best player in Europe, uh, the UEFA best player in Europe. Uh, she beat off competition from teammate Jennifer Marijan and, and French midfielder Amadine Henri. So she's at the top of her game and, and she's decided to call it a day. Um, it's not uncommon in women's football, unfortunately. You will have seen or may may or may not have seen in, in the NWSL. A few players in the States have announced their retirement. Mariah Bullock, who someone knows Mariah Nagera, has announced her retirement in the last few days. Um, Lauren Holiday will be retiring at the end of the year a real legend in American football Shannon Box another one granted Shannon's a little bit older but you know these are big names that are, are, are coming out of the game and, and there's various reasons for it you know players want to start families that's certainly why Lauren Holiday 
has retired. And my understanding is that Celia maybe wants to go down that route as well. And it's difficult to juggle the demands of, of being a mum and wanting to play football at the highest level. So it, it's going to have a massive impact because she's a world-class player. Um, Frankfurt haven't necessarily been able to replace her like for like, and it's very difficult to do so because they don't have the financial power of a Bayern Munich or a Wolfsburg. Um, the German national team will no doubt uh, have it will have an effect on them because you're taking a player out of the equation who scores goals for fun. So yeah, it is going to have an effect and it came as a surprise to everyone, but at the same time, maybe wasn't a surprise to to her teammates because they will have known in you know known her better than than we do and, and what was going through her mind. Yeah, it's obviously a, a tough choice, especially in the women's game that we obviously don't really see much in the men's game. Uh, you mentioned there uh, the beginning of the Women's Champions League and mentioned a few teams there. Uh, which teams do you think are like the legitimate contenders that could walk away with that title? I'd love to say Frankfurt again. Um, the reason I'd say I'd love to say Frankfurt is because they have an English coach in Colin Bell, who uh, I've spoken to numerous times since they won that title. I spoke to him just last week, and I know that he was confident going into uh, their first first. Well, they're in the last 32 of the competition now. The bigger teams enter the competition a little bit later. So they've now just had their first leg of their last 32 encounter. They won 2-0 in Liège in Belgium. So they will be there or thereabouts. I think you've got to look at Wolfsburg. They strengthened again over the summer. They brought in some real quality. And I think they will be uh, looking to try and reclaim their title that they won back-to-back um, a few years ago. Uh, and never look past Lyon. Lyon, on their day, are the best team in Europe, in my mind. They, When they are on form, no one can touch them. And they, again, they lost a couple of players. They they lost Elise Busoglia and, and Laura Dickenman, who who ironically went over to Wolfsburg. Uh, but they brought in some some really good players to not necessarily like-for-like like replacements, but Claire Levalger, who is one of the brightest prospects in French football, has, has come over to Lyon, and I think she'll have a big impact. Ada Hegerberg, who we spoke about before the World Cup as a player to watch, yeah. she started the season on fire in, in the league campaign. She scored a hatful against PSG in, in a 5-0 win in the league. So I think when you've got players like that on form, they're going to be a team to look out for in the Champions League. Bayern Munich as well. They're, they're making their debut in the competition and they, they are a team that are taking women's football seriously. Uh, they, they haven't won a title for something like 30 or 40 years, certainly since the 70s. And now they've won the title and are in the Champions League. They're taking it seriously. They signed Veronica Boquet in the summer who... Uh, was on the shortlist for the BBC World Player of the Year and is a wonderful player to watch. And and they've also brought in uh, Christy Mewis, who is an American player that many people will know, plays for the Boston Breakers. They've got her on loan till December. So they've strengthened as well. And and I think have a, don't don't be too surprised if you see Chelsea ladies do well. Chelsea, Chelsea have got a good team. Uh, I know when I spoke to Colin Bell, the Frankfurt coach, he said that was a team that he really wanted to avoid because Chelsea were unseeded because they're making their debut. Uh, so I think Chelsea could surprise a few people, but front runners for me, Leon and Wolfsburg probably, and, and Frankfurt won't be far behind. Awesome stuff. And uh, obviously the viewership has probably dropped off since the Women's World Cup. It's such a big event. So if people were wanting to watch some of those teams you just mentioned or get involved in, in women's football, how, how best could they go about that? Yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's difficult. I, I think we are still, despite the, the impact of the World Cup, we are still struggling for women's football in terms of broadcasting. You know, you quite often have to 
go on the internet and find these streams that aren't necessarily always legal. I'm not going to be coming on here to promote where you can find them because that wouldn't be right. But that unfortunately seems to be the common way to find them. Although in saying that, there are clubs that now tend to stream their games through various websites. The German uh, DFB website has uh, Frauen Bundesliga games every week that you can view online, which is really useful. Uh, Eurosport in France quite often broadcast games that involve Lyon or PSG or certainly semi-regularly do. Um, and if, you, if you're lucky, you might be able to find a stream of them. Um, the NWSL, as I mentioned, has now finished. Uh, the US women's national team still have some games remaining in their victory tour off the back of the World Cup. And I know Fox Sports are are broadcasting them. So if you're in the States, you can you can see them. The UEFA Women's Champions League games, as I said, there were a few streams, legal ones, uh, that were being broadcast through various websites and various clubs. The best thing to do is always to look on Twitter. I'd love to be able to give you uh, sources to be able to go through. But the reality is, is that you never really know until uh, a few days beforehand whether they're going to be streamed or not. So um, best thing to do, look on Twitter, keep an eye out on the teams that you're interested in and and sometimes you might find that you get lucky. All right. Well, massive thanks to you for coming back on. We enjoy it as always. Is there anything you'd like to plug or tell people where to reach you? Yeah, I obviously uh, do my own show. Uh, I um, You can find uh, the Twitter account on at WosoZone. Uh, the show can be downloaded fortnightly at audioboom.com forward slash WosoZone. Uh, and you can... Um, you can email us if you need to. Uh, if you've got any feedback or any questions on women's football, always happy to, to answer them on wososone at gmail.com. All right, massive thanks to Kieran for talking us through all things women football. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about Liverpool, the signing of Klopp, and what it'll mean for Liverpool. We have Gags on, founder of EPL Index. It's been a few years. How are you doing, man? Hey Kev, how you doing, man? Long time. Yeah, not Absolutely too bad. Not too bad. Time. We wow. did just record a, a different pod talking a little bit of Liverpool Spurs preview, but yeah, everything's been good. Uh, obviously, very slow week for Liverpool fans. Not much news coming out of there. Pretty underrated story. Jurgen Klopp moved to Liverpool. I don't know if you heard about that. Just what's your initial uh, reaction to having a manager like that coming into the club? Who? Jürgen Hoot. <laughs> no. I, I don't know. I think I think there's a song. I'm not sure we need to do it now. But. No, no, no. I'm not singing again. I'm not singing again. If you want to hear me sing, we've got a preview coming out soon on the Anfield Index channel. That's where you'll know me from if you do listen in before. But um, yes, I was on this pod. Uh, one of the originals, wasn't I, Kev? So yeah. it was a long time ago. I think kind of um, moved off onto Anfield Index more, doing more work there. And there's, there's like 50, 60 pods there now, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. But yeah, the Jurgen Klopp news is probably the, the, the biggest news we've had since I've been podcasting. So that's, that's, it's been huge, huge. The sacking of Rogers and the announcement of Jurgen Klopp taking over has been absolutely tremendous, tremendous news for Liverpool fans. I think we were all in a bit of a rut and getting really fed up with life, um, watching the team play without any fight. And I think we brought in somebody who, who, who really does have, have that fight. Yeah, obviously a, a very big signing. And, and we'll get into this with uh, Nina when she joins in on the pod more about formations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you mentioned there, you know, there's been a little bit of divide also within the Liverpool fan base. Are we thinking that Klopp will kind of reunify everybody? 
Yes, it's already happening. Uh, I think if you look at, I don't know about obviously about the stadium. I have a season ticket this year, so I will be at the first home, the first Premier League home game. I'm out of the country for Ruben Kazan, but the 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 big, um, the the, the big um, game is Southampton at home. So, so yeah, we'll find out whether it's. But Twitter wise, definitely. The Southampton one obviously being an interesting match as there will be many both Southampton players and Southampton alums uh, facing one another in that one. Are, are we, I know we just discussed it on the preview pod, but are you confident heading into the Spurs match? Do you think he'll have enough time to kind of enact some of his philosophies in what it's going to basically be a four-day week? No, no, no. It's, it's to expect, like we just spoke about on the other part, it's too much to expect really fast. I think what you will get is the normal thing that you get from all managers, a shot in the arm, you know, uh, the confidence, the boost, new man in, and he's gonna be, he, he speaks very well. He speaks awesome. I'm sure, like you said, you're going to speak to Nina in a minute about that stuff. She'll, she'll tell you exactly what he's like and um, what he did for Dortmund. And if he can get any of that going, this season will be a decent season. All right, thanks, Gags. And now we welcome Nina Kalzer to the show. Noted Klopp enthusiast and fan of German football overall. We heard Gag's thoughts on just his initial reaction towards Klopp joining the club. As somebody that had already kind of followed his career a bit, what was your initial reaction to him joining Liverpool? Absolutely um, delighted. First of all, um, thank you for having me on this show. Um, Absolutely thrilled. I mean, this is a guy that... um, I've admired for such a long time uh, for what he's done at Dortmund, not even on the pitch, but off it. You know, the man is just charismatic. You've seen him, you know, take Dortmund. Uh, They were in a really, really dark period. And what he's done with them, won two Bundesliga titles, took them all the way to a Champions League final. He was a cult hero amongst them fans. And obviously, as a Liverpool fan, it was quite a dark stage when Dortmund were doing really well with him. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at what he had with them fans and that club with a bit of an envious eye. Not totally envious, but kind of like, oh, I'd like a bit of that at Anfield because... I don't think I've ever had that kind of connection with a manager since Rafa Benitez. Sure, we had Kenny Dalglish, but I kind of always knew that that was going to come to an end. He was just there to kind of fix the mess that Hodgson left behind. And now that we've got this guy, I mean, I'm just relieved more than anything. And I'm still in a bit of a trance. I can't believe we've landed this manager. Yeah, obviously, very exciting times. Uh, Jumping straight into kind of tactics... We've seen a lot of major outlets reporting that he's going to bring that 4-2-3-1 with the press that he was so well known for at Dortmund. Spoke with Gags a little bit earlier. It doesn't seem like you specifically have the personnel to run a a system with two wide men. Do you think that we'll see that 4-2-3-1 and maybe see Milner and Ings out wide? Or do you think we'll see kind of a new formation that better suits your your player group? It's a really interesting one because, uh, yeah, the the, the 4-3-2-1 is obviously his more favoured formation and it it did so well for him and obviously last season it failed due to um at Dortmund due to injuries due to uh uh bad recruit you know poor recruiting and just simply not having the players there and he still stuck by it and this is a bit of a major concern for Liverpool fans but um I'd like to think that obviously um and I think a majority of Liverpool fans would like to think that he's watched a fair bit of Liverpool um whilst he's been off He's also kind of looked at how we play and sort of devised more, um, you know, more formations and maybe he might be a bit more open to maybe possibly a diamond, which obviously suits our players more better. But I think the most telling thing will be will, will be when he takes his first game in charge. 
And I think that's when we'll know, because right now it's just up in the air. He wouldn't even talk about his formations and tactics with the press. I said this. I struggled, didn't I, on the preview pod to predict the team? Because yeah. I just, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. It's a new manager. You just, if people you say, I, I said Jonathan Hardy, the, the expert, and said he'll stick to 4-2-3-1. But because the team doesn't suit it, you just, he, he might, like you, I think you said, Kev, didn't you? He seems like a sharp tool. You know, he's clever. He, he, if it doesn't suit the team, he might not do it. So the diamond, who knows? Who knows? I, I tried to pick a team from 4-2-3-1. But uh, it was Liverpool tough. fans in the diamond. You guys just love that so much. <laughs> I think women, yeah. love the, Liverpool fans all becoming women. They love diamonds. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a girls and a Liverpool fans best friend. But, I mean, who, <laughs> you know, who, who knows? Really, who, who knows? But um, it's going to be really interesting to see whether he's um, sort of learned a, a thing or two whilst he's been off for five months. But I mean... A lot of people are maybe alluding to, um, like like you said, Ings out wide. For me, that doesn't work because I saw that against Manchester United, and for me, you're not you're not using his best, you know, assets in the right way because for me, he was redundant out there and he was a waste of space. And if not, and we've seen him more effective with the striker like Daniel Sturridge. It's just going to be really interesting, and you know, and it's quite exciting as well because we actually don't know what's in store for us. But we know we've got a competent manager. It's just really interesting. I mean, he could actually play, if he does play, say, a long striker up top, I can kind of imagine maybe a Coutinho and a Firmino more tighter to the striker so he's not isolated like we did with Brendan Rodgers where the wide men were really far out wide and it didn't kind of provide enough service to the target man. I think Klopp will probably play something a bit more compressed. Mm. I I agree. To, to get the most out, out of the striker because, you know, if you kind of say even look at Dortmund and you saw Royce and Gotts uh, play um, with Lewandowski, they, they were a lot closer than what, say, Brendan Rodgers had with Firmino and Ings playing off um, off Benteke. They were a lot wider and a lot more isolated. And obviously he, he knows Firmino. He's come from Germany. He'll know exactly where he needs to play him. And there won't be none of this playing the guy out of position. Yeah. yeah, there's some rumours that mentioned... Firmino's back as well, uh, hopefully in the squad. So let's see. Let's see if that's true. Yeah, you mentioned Lewandowski there. Klopp obviously known for helping develop great young talent with Royce and Gundogan uh, and, and some of the guys at the back like Mats Hummels uh, and uh, Subotic. Uh, so are we thinking that we'll see that kind of thing at Liverpool? And which players do you think would most benefit from having Klopp at the club? I think it's um I think a fair few. I mean, if you if you imagine Liverpool Football Club right now, you know we are a team packed with very young players, and you know when when and no disrespect to Brendan Rodgers, but he was pretty much a manager learning on the job in in the sense that his CV wasn't you know he didn't have honours to boast about. Yes, he very nearly won us the league, but he finished second. He didn't win it. And, and then you're a young player who wants to become something. And then a Jurgen Klopp walks in. And Jurgen Klopp is not a manager who buys world-class talent. He develops it. So if you're a young player and this guy comes in, you are instantly boosted because you think, I could really become something with this guy. You know, this guy might really get the best out of me. This guy isn't learning on the job. He's done it. He's going to try taking us to the next level. So naturally, I think all the players will be super excited. And they would have seen him. They would have seen him on yeah, TV. They would have seen his he, teams as well, wouldn't they? I was, just, I was just going to say, you know, he, he he made Dortmund into a bit of a fairy tale force again, and you know they, they were they were nothing, and he he raised them and built them to be, you know, he, he got them into a final. 
you know, Champions outstanding, League, yeah. yeah, Champions League final, outstanding achievements, and 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 I think the players that will really benefit and that will absolutely love and probably be rubbing their hands at this at the thought of this guy being here is obviously like your yeah, Emre Jean will absolutely love it. I think also obviously Firmino will absolutely love it because obviously it's that German connection, Bundesliga connection. But as a whole, I think a majority of our squad, the young talent, will be absolutely. Um, you know, just relishing the thought of playing under this guy because he's the ultimate motivator. All right. And is there any kind of last word we should know about Jurgen Klopp? Anything that maybe the, the major media outlets have kind of missed? Well, I'll tell you what. She's just, she's, she's, she's so, she's so mental about him. We went to... <laughs> I'm not that mental. He's just okay. a manager that I've rated for a really long time. Okay. Okay. Let me finish before you put in. <laughs> we went to watch Dortmund together uh, at Anfield uh, last year's preseason. And I'll tell you what, mate, she sat next to me and she didn't watch the game. She did not. She had this broken iPhone with a cracked screen and she kept zooming in to try and take a photo. She's sitting behind the goal in the Ampil Road end. It's like miles away. <laughs> and an iPhone 4S trying to, trying to take pictures of it. That's how mad she is about Jürgen Klopp, mate. So basically, it, it wouldn't be, it's safe to say, her dreams have come true here with this appointment. Can I just come back in? Uh, yes, I, I, I am a massive Jurgen Klopp fan because obviously of what he's achieved and he's probably one of the most likeable, loved managers. He's so infectious. Mm. You see him with the press, you see him with his team, you see him with Dortmund fans and you want a bit of that as a Liverpool fan. He comes to Anfield and I, I was sat with my brother and my brother, again, we, you know, he, he admires Jurgen Klopp for what he's done. You know, he's, he's an architect, he builds things. You, You've got to admire that. Mm. It's a hard quality in a manager these days. Loyal as well, something that is very rare in the modern game. And I was speaking to my brother and we were just chatting and uh, I was like, oh, you know what? I would love him as um, Liverpool manager one day. And there was Liverpool fans sat in front of us and they looked back and gave us a bit of a funny look. And I just thought one day I would love him to be Liverpool manager. It's just just one of them things. Don't look at me. And you know, there was Brendan Rodgers, and there's Jurgen Klopp. And every single day, I'd I'd pick a I'd pick a Jurgen Klopp. And I remember when Mkhitaryan went um, opted yeah. for Dortmund instead of us, and Liverpool fans were furious. And I remember tweeting out saying, "If you're a young player who wants to, who do you play for? Do you want to play under Brendan Rodgers, or no disrespect once again, or do you want to play for Jurgen Klopp? I know who I'd pick." I knew they'd pick. Everybody would pick the same person. And you know what? I got a lot of stick from Liverpool fans for that tweet. This is way before I got involved with Anfield. You should retweet it now. I couldn't find (laughs) it. I tweet way too much, but I remember (laughs) so much stick. And I just thought, no, take your bias aside and look at the two managers. Who would you rather play for? Yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. It does make sense. And I think looking at his first interview uh, and looking at any any press he's done with Liverpool so far the internet broke the internet pretty much the Liverpool Twitter side of things the bubble that we live in broke it was absolutely uh, euphor- you know is euphoria wasn't it like we've had a pod it on is. it and, and I think as well another thing as well that Liverpool fans should be really excited about is it's been so long since we've had a manager that we can actually believe in like you know you can kind of think okay it's not going right but he'll get it right and actually believe that we've not had that in the best part of five years since Rafa Benitez was sacked and this is really exciting time for Liverpool fans because he's going to want to build a legacy. He's going to want to leave something behind. 
All right, and uh, so final question, where do you end in the table this season? I think with the way things are going and pretty much, I don't think the league is awfully great and I think anyone can pretty much beat anyone. I've got my sights set on a top four finish. I'm not going to lie. And I also see us doing quite well in Europa as well with um, with Jurgen Klopp because um, he is proven in Europe. So I definitely see us craw- um, you know, crawling up that table. I'd, I'd okay. take a fourth. Yeah, I, I think I think with the manager now, proven he, if he if he just gets a good six months on this now, if he get, gets a run going at any point in the season. To be honest, we saw last year how far Liverpool were off at Christmas, and then ten games later, they're uh, in contention for top four. So you know, it just it's just how quickly can he get it to to, to you know tick. Tick clop, tick tock. Okay, anyway, rubbish. Um, <laughs> tick yeah. tock goes the clop. <laughs> yeah, so I just think he will. He will get there. He will do it. I don't think it'll take him that long. But not to expect anything miraculous in the first few games. Like I said in the on the preview, we've done an Anfield index. We you can't expect too much immediately. It's the first game. Take take it easy. You know, you just want to see that belief back in the players, which we will. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I think top four is realistic. Really is now. I think look at the state of the league, Kev. Um, I think you've seen it yourself. You don't, you don't it's, think it's all Leicester over the place. Palace are making top four? Uh, I think they'll drop, won't they? It happens all the time. There's yeah, Leicester, Leicester and Palace will drop. I mean, we saw West Ham last season in top four around about this yeah, time last year. as well. Yeah. yeah, you know what they it is. Their squads them. aren't big enough, are they? Their squads, they, 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 it's quality. Like the first eleven looks really good. No yeah. disrespect. Well, we to talked Palace about it in the preview thing with Pochettino. Is he lost Toby all the world and Wanyama at the same time, and then it just went all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. But not to get too far off track, we had an absolute great time having you on for the first time. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, where could people find you on the internet? I practically live on the Anfield Index, uh, the sister site to the EPL Index. Uh, pretty much um, on Twitter, you can. You can follow me if you want. It's entirely up to you if you can stomach uh, the Jurgen Klopp fangirling. Love it. Love it. It, yeah, loving it can be a bit unbearable. I'm like the cheerleader for it. Um, my Twitter handle is at El Nina Causa. And that's pretty much it. She's got her own show, by the way, silly of her not to plug. It's called The Nina Causa Show on Anfield Index. And you can find it on the AI channel app. There's my, my promoter. My promoter. <laughs> right plug is the secondary <laughs> plug for Nina. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, guys. I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thanks, Thank mate. And that concludes today's kind of mashup episode where we brought to you a whole bunch of different uh, topics and groups of people to talk to you about all things football. Massive thanks to Gags, Nina, Steve, Jay, and Kieran for coming on and talking. Uh, both Liverpool and international football and women's football. It was a pleasure having them on. I know it was a little different than what you're used to, but we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we hope you keep listening.